Hello, and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. I'm Sam Lum, Director of Private Wealth and Capital Markets at CFA Institute. I'm joined here today at the Australian Investment Conference in Sydney by Helga Bergton, Head of Responsible Investment Asia Pacific at Mercer. Helga has more than 14 years of experience in ESG investing in the Asia Pacific. And our topic of discussion today is naturally focused on issues relating to ESG investing in the Asia Pacific. Helga, thanks for being with us here today. Thank you very much, Sam. It's a pleasure. What are some of the major ESG issues in the Asia Pacific? And how do these compare with those in developed markets in North America and Western Europe? The key environmental and social and governance issues in the Asia Pacific are really common to uh, most regions in our view. Environmental issues challenge all investors and by environmental we mean for example uh, issues such as natural resources, uh, water, um, the way in which water is not yet uh, fully priced in production um, and uh, obviously issues around pollution and uh, the, the impact of mega themes like climate risk. And then going to the social dimension of investing, we have issues like uh, industrial relations and occupational health and safety and so on. And as the Asia Pacific region does have a lot of manufacturing, particularly in China, these sort of risks do impact, uh, in our view, the bottom line. And then thirdly, the, the governance uh, dimension which I think the academic literature is fairly solid on identifying that good governance does equate with better investment performance over time and that the quality of governance which goes to the efficiency and the transparency and the accuracy of the business management process all contribute uh, as factors to the quality of the investment and how well it's managed. So. For the Asia-Pacific region, these issues are uh, a common story as compared to other regions, but I think in particular in our region, uh, they are somewhat magnified and some of the impacts could be uh, the, the pressure on the region to develop economically and the phenomenal growth that we're seeing in these parts of the world the, and the kind of underlying risks that are presenting themselves to this enormous uh, pressure to grow and develop and to uh, increase the affluence and the economic development in our region. So what we need to look at when we're thinking about investment in our region is to look at what are the underlying drivers of risk and where are the sources of return coming from. And we see that ESG are a very important part of answering that question in our region. Are these ESG related developments confined to equities or do they also involve other asset classes? The evolution of the um, ESG story obviously first came out of the equities space. So the listed equities in the public markets require a higher standard of compliance and reporting and so on. But uh, the other asset classes are not immune. Obviously, there are those which are, in fact, probably more exposed to what we might call 
sensitive assets, uh, for example, infrastructure and real estate would have a higher exposure to climate risk and environmental impacts. And by climate risk, I mean also policy risk and the fact that we have a very diverse policy situation globally at, um, when we think about what is the impact of carbon, for example. So uh, the environmental impact on certain asset classes is going to be quite sensitive. Um, and we also see in the fixed income space, for example, that many managers are now starting to think about the strategic view in regards to fixed income and to see ESG as part of the good business case. So ESG does apply beyond the listed equities space and it particularly might apply to what we call the alternative asset classes such as um, green hedge funds, uh, themed funds, uh, unlisted sustainable equity and so on. Helga, we always kind of wonder, are there actually tangible benefits from ESG investing? Or is there actually a significant give up in return performance or information ratio? What is the empirical evidence in the Asia Pacific and how does this compare with those for developed markets in North America and Western Europe? At Mercer, we have looked at this question very hard. We've been trying to answer this question for about the last eight years, and it is a very important one. We have developed two reports where we've studied the academic literature, which has been peer reviewed, um, trying to address this a question of, do we have to pay a penalty in order to consider these factors? And the evidence to date that we have reviewed suggests that the majority of academic studies applying modern portfolio theory and sp spanning a wide range of time periods, some over 20 plus years, and some studies which are meta-studies, so containing hundreds of studies, they, the general finding is that there are, in the majority of cases, um, there are no penalty to applying ESG factors. And in fact, some studies which have looked at the question of fiduciary duty, for example, go so far as to suggest that if fiduciaries don't consider some of these ESG risks, then they may be in fact in breach of their fiduciary duty because they can be material to the investment case and governance risks the collapse of uh, some of the major companies and even some of the underlying risks to the global financial crisis and perhaps the instability that we're seeing in our markets currently can be tracked back mm -hmm. to a lack of attention around the good governance and the transparency and the disclosure and then on, leading on from there, some of these um, environmental and social risks as well. So our view is that, is that ESG doesn't mean you pay a penalty for performance in most cases. In our particular study, I think out of the 36 major studies we reviewed, about 20 of the studies regarded that it could contribute to investment return to consider ESG factors. About 11 of them were neutral and the remainder were negative. So that's just a snapshot, obviously, of a group of studies, but uh, we have seen that over the last three or four years in particular, that the literature supports the argument that ESG does not devalue investment. And 
uh, to go to the last part of your question, a long answer to a, a short question, um, there, there are studies that look at the impacts in the Asia-Pacific region, but it is true to say that that particular study was of a more global nature and not um, looking particularly at the Asia-Pacific region. And it's also true to say that in our region, the development of uh, ESG and its implementation is somewhat different to um, the US and the European markets. And uh, we undertook a study for the International Finance Corporation World Bank Group on the extent to which ESG is integrated mm -hmm. by mainstream managers in their investment process. And we undertook uh, detailed research and face-to-face -face interviews with ma investment managers in China, South Korea, India and Brazil and uh, we found that the most progressive manager that was really integrating these issues into their investment research, their portfolio construction, their portfolio monitoring and their implementation across the firm came from China. So what we're seeing in the Asia Pacific region is that while we might not share the same labels as the other markets, there's some very innovative thinking and research and investment practice going on. Well, how can investment professionals in Australia and other parts of Asia Pacific benefit from the ESG developments here? The key ways of taking advantage um, as institutional investors is really to understand how the investment managers are actually implementing these ideas and Mercer, for example, has its ESG ratings and it has rated about 5,000 investment strategies globally across all asset classes for the extent to which managers are implementing ESG. So going to those, those sorts of issues like where is it in the portfolio construction? Um, where are the assets and how are they performing against environmental, social and governance criteria? So for institutional investors, it's useful to have a tool which actually measures the progress of managers. So for example, in our rating system, we have ESG1 is the best and ESG4 is the worst. So investors who are using managers that are an ESG4 may wish to see their managers migrate up the scale over time as they take on these ideas and bring them into the portfolio and pick up on some of the upside of considering these factors. So I think it's very important for institutional investors at least to understand what their managers are doing and how they are progressing over time and encouraging them. And so measuring that level of performance is a useful way and can be ultimately a benefit to the long-term investor, which our super funds and pension funds ultimately are. Helga, how would you summarize the key takeaways on ESG investing in the Asia-Pacific? The ESG issues in the Asia-Pacific are not going away. Um, they are magnifying in our view. And I think, for example, the whole mega theme of climate change uh, is a good example of where risks come into the portfolio and where many of the traditional techniques haven't really develop models or ways of uh, allocating their assets in relation to such thematic and strategic risks. So I believe that there will be a lot more work done by institutional investors on the strategic asset allocation side. 
um, that there will be more investing on a thematic basis and that there will be a shift away from the silo-like uh, distribution of risk across asset classes into looking at those underlying drivers of risk, the demographic change, the urbanisation, the scarcity of natural resources, the whole question of resource security, water and food and so on, and that ESG investing will really become very much part and parcel of what investors do over time as these pressures become more and more acute. Helga, thank you for sharing your thoughts on ESG investing in the Asia Pacific. Thank you very much, Sam. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the CFA Institute Take 15 series. Copyright 2011, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.